Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to a special Halloween edition of the Energy Roundtable. Uh, joined, as always, by my spooky co-host, uh, Lisa Katz. <laughs> Lisa, welcome to, uh, to... I wanted to go somewhere else with that, but welcome to Energy Roundtable. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Matt. I guess I should probably say trick or treat. <laughs> trick or treat, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, lots of news, lots of things happening. Let's uh, let's get right in. I'll, uh, I'll why don't I go first? I will. Um, well, both my articles are from SmartEnergyDecisions.com, which is a favorite of mine. Um, and so this uh, this uh, this news article, the headline is Japan sets a 36 to 38 percent renewable energy sourcing target, which is a very accurate target. Uh, so there's probably a lot of thought that went into it. Um, so just last week, the government of Japan um, released uh, their new target, uh, which is uh, for the national electricity mix. So by 2030, they want to be 36 to 38 uh, percent renewable energy sources. And it was just approved by cabinet. And so they break it down um, a little bit more. So um they want five percent from wind 14 to 16 percent from solar 11 percent from hydro five percent from biomass which is one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was uh five percent from biomass and then they're very pragmatic they also know that um you know coal is going to go down go down to 19 percent. so they're not talking about eliminating it um lng will be 20 uh, percent and uh, nuclear was in here somewhere, but I don't remember where it is. Um, anyway, so kind of some really realistic targets uh, around, um, oh, uh, nuclear is 20 to 20%. So some really kind of target, good targets, but what they've done is they had a target and they've upped the target. So they're stretching themselves. So um, kind of cool, uh, kind yeah. of exciting, uh, kind of pragmatic, right? Some people are kind of pie in the sky with this stuff. so. Yeah. Good to hear somebody really has some kind of realistic and well thought out targets. So. Yeah, no, I agree. And the fact that it's a little bit of a stretch is, uh, I think, a little bit of a thumbs up, too. I think we all have to stretch ourselves, especially because everything's moving so quickly these days, right? Yeah, for sure. So my first article is from uh, the paper that I get delivered to my front door every day, the Toronto Star. <laughs> Actually, it's technically my second article is from there, too. Uh, the title is EU Hydrogen Firms Drawn to Quebec. Uh, I actually happen to know that this was a, this is a thing uh, because working with a couple of our clients, they're actually talking to us about different hydrogen projects in Quebec. And, uh, of course, it's because of the abundance of cheap hydroelectric power that's making it so, uh, so interesting and attractive for people. Um, interestingly enough, it's also been a fairly attractive place for uh, cryptocurrency miners and data centers as of late. Um, and, of course, it's now attracting European green hydrogen producers. So the thought process is, which is kind of interesting, you know, they're going to people are going to come over here. They're going to have their, their hydrogen facilities. They're going to generate green hydrogen, and then they're going to basically going to ship it back off to Europe where it's going to be used. Um, so interesting for a couple of reasons, because, well, obviously, Europe, the, Europe is trying to decarbonize probably a little bit faster than we are. There's a lot of interest there, and people are willing to pay the premium. Uh, a little bit disappointing in a way that you know, we in Canada are doing it in a sense, like, like part of me, like that whole buy local mentality, like, 
if we've got all of these available resources, like it'd be nice to, to you know, green Canada. And, and, and obviously we've talked about this previously. This is this whole global transition is going to have to take place literally globally, where we're all relying on different provinces and uh, states and countries to to finally get to net zero. But I don't know. I would like to see more of it happening in Canada before it goes off to Europe, personally. Um, and then what was interesting is, uh, let me see here. So they were just also talking because of the price of power. It's home to 50 power-intensive data centers for companies including Amazon, Microsoft, and the province also has large contracts to export its clean electricity to New York and Massachusetts. Again, like to keep it in Canada, but okay. Uh, and then the province's cryptocurrency mining boom hit a wall when a moratorium was imposed and new rules that followed did little to revive it. Of an extra 300 megawatts allocated to new clients from the industry in 2019, only 22 megawatts have been taken up, according to Hydro-Quebec. So anyways, we know that they have cheap power. They obviously have excess power. Um, and again, it's kind of a thumbs up and thumbs down for me all at the same point, you know, all at the same time. Big advocate for the green hydrogen piece, but would love to keep it in Canada if we could. I, I'm a I'm a two thumbs up for this. I saw the same article um, and I was intrigued by it. I think, you know, we're an energy export company, right? In our country, sorry. And so whether we're exporting it to the US, whether we're exporting it to Europe, uh, I think it's cool that we're thinking outside the box and it's not only is it cheap and available surplus, it's also clean with with all the hydroelectric they have, right? And so, <laughs> You know, it makes it truly green green electricity. As as you know, I'm a cryptocurrency you know fan, kind of following that space. Part of the black mark on that space is the energy footprint, especially when it's from carbon sources. So the hydroelectric piece is important there. But I mean, we're an energy export country, and so this is just another you know let, let let's lean into this. You know, we, we're figuring out how to do it in oil and gas. Let's also lean into this and, and figure out how to. So I'm excited by it. I'm you know. I'm curious what what uh, the uh, new federal cabinet uh, minister of environment, the former Greenpeace, um, or yeah, is it, was he Greenpeace activist? Anyways, um, you know what what he will say of this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, will he squash it? Like the fears are, he's going to squash everything progressive. But um, I, I'm ex I'm excited by, by this, so it'll it'll be uh, it'll be cool to see. I'm curious, like how do they actually ship hydrogen? Are it in those kind of? Is it liquefied? Is it is it must be liquefied it must be anyway, i'm assuming it i'm assuming it is but i think you know that well that there's two things i'll just add to this so yeah. the sad part is you'll see when you get to my next article why i'm kind of giving it a bit of a thumbs down okay. in terms of the export piece but then the other thing that i'm thinking about and i'm trying to remember where it is now martin was telling me that uh somewhere in the u.s they're generating a ton of biomass like pellets and chips and things like that that are also being shipped off to europe but whenever I think about a renewable fuel being transported somewhere, I always think about what what other you know issues are there in the transportation side of things that are also affecting climate, right? So what type of ship is this going on, and what type of engines is the ship being driven by, right? And you know, is it yeah, it's making it maybe worth it to some degree, but you're you're also adding a carbon footprint to that uh, transportation side, right? Yeah, the the inverse. Put yourself in the shoes of the U Europeans, who, you know, they can, they can go east instead of across the Atlantic and come west. They can go east, and Mr. Putin has his hand on the valve, 
right? And so he could close that valve at any time. Yes, there's no ships involved, but it's carbon based and somebody could close that valve. Um, so yeah, very I, true. I, I like it from a global resiliency play. Um, part of that hydrogen may go to um, flying planes. Um, and that's my next article. And this one, I'm 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 in quite a few planes and uh, like to fly. And I know it's uh, certainly GHG emissions heavy. So this article was very exciting for that reason. And because uh, I am, my, my ancestry goes back to the Netherlands. And this story is about a uh, flight that is planned, a first commercial hydrogen slash electric flight planned between London and Rotterdam. Uh, so Rotterdam is one of the major cities in the Netherlands. And the goal of this company is to have a first commercial flight that is 100% uh, hydrogen slash electric uh, passenger aircraft from Rotterdam uh, to London. I'm not, they're not sure of the flight path yet that they're still working through that. Mm. The company is called Zero Avia or Zero Avia. Um, it's a bunch of Dutch uh, companies in the Rotterdam uh, Hague area. And uh, they're looking to get this uh, route going by the end of 2024. And uh, so, you know, it's it's kind of, that's a, that's a realistic timeline. That's two, three, three years away and, and trying to find a viable pathway for emissions-free um, air travel. So um, we've had a lot of advances in air travel. Is this the next one where we get to hydrogen electric hybrids? Uh, only time will tell, but if, if, we, if we can get there, uh, that, that'll be good for Greta Thunberg. She can come to uh, conferences again. In, uh, <laughs> That's in right. Uh, but, you know, it's it's an exciting um, opportunity. So, to, you know, if I could do three, uh, three thumbs up for this article, sure. very exciting for me. Yeah, that's definitely a big thumbs up. Interesting that uh, a major airline was not kind of or isn't involved because the the exposure that that would create would be outstanding right like it would really be amazing yeah that's a great that's a great observation yeah i'm sure somebody will get on board at some point but you're right um the biggest name is something called royal skipple group which i think is tied to the skipple airport in, in amsterdam so mm -hmm. yeah no big no big you know lufthansa or klm or yeah, yeah. anybody like that so great observation <clears throat> well they're lost <laughs> that's right that's right uh, all right. So my next article again from the Toronto Star, how the electricity sector can move toward net zero. Uh, so for those of you, some of you may have seen um, our uh, energy news um, post. I think this was from last week or actually maybe earlier this week um, about the independent electricity uh, system operator ISO report on the future of natural gas generation Ontario that is concluding that it's not feasible to phase out natural gas as a uh, as an electricity source before 2030. And the ISO has been receiving a lot of flack about this. There's been a lot of discussion in the news, a lot of exposure here. And uh, this is, of course, because of the retirement of the Pickering nuclear station uh, that's supposed to happen in 2025. And um, essentially what this is doing is it's it's creating a bit of a problem because we're looking at um, you know, the increased need for electricity because of obviously the phase out of the nuclear station, um, increased demand as Ontario recovers from COVID-19, and obviously more electrification that is happening, including, uh, you know, Trudeau's announcement where he's he wants uh, more electric cars. I'm trying to remember the percentage now, if it's 30 or 50 percent of electric cars being sold on the road by 2025, 20, I think it is, because I think that date was moved up, if memory serves me correct. 
Um, <clears throat> so, you know, interesting, and obviously there's a lot more carbon that's being emitted from those natural gas-fired power plants. So there, there, there's the, the article is suggesting that, you know, at the top of the list to try to decarbonize this and get away from, because we do have goals still to be net zero by 2030, I think it is, um, that we should uh, step up our efforts to develop and integrate DERs or distributed energy resources into the mix. And the article talks a lot about um, the fact that, well, first of all, there's nearly 5,000 megawatts of existing DERs in Ontario which is equivalent to 15% of the current installed capacity for the province. Um, and of course, they are very quick to mention, you know, electrification technologies such as wind and solar and that sort of thing, um, which when I first read it, I was like, oh, boo, like, come on, like, there's more, there's more to DERs than that. But then I got excited because there is this little blurb that says, ironically, natural gas can also play a role in the move to net zero. The minister has asked the ISO to consider the possibility of maintaining the generating facilities through the development of utility-scale carbon capture and storage or by replacing natural gas with green fuels such as hydrogen and renewable natural gas. Oh, yeah. So now, coming back to my other article, if we can take you know a big percentage of the hydrogen that is being potentially exported to Europe from mm. Quebec, if we can bring it to a place like Ontario, keep it, you know, we're, we're neighboring provinces and we can run CHP behind the meter running on hydrogen, right, or renewable natural gas. Uh, I think that's that would be fantastic. And that would be a big bonus uh, in terms of just the efficiency of the, you know, the, the, the technology behind the meter. Um, of course, the article falls short of also mentioning that behind the meter natural gas fired CHP not necessarily renewable natural gas, should be really considered to decarbonize the grid. And, you know, we've talked about it on this show before, but that's all because of marginal emission factors. I was on a Quest CHP call yesterday. We were talking about this very issue. Uh, our friend Akil Zaidi from Enbridge was also talking about it, who's very passionate about the subject. So there's a little bit missing from the article. Um, but overall, I was happy at least that renewable fuels were also being part as a part of the discussion at least from an article's context so and that was in the star Toronto that star. was in the star yep cool and anybody who's looking for some supplemental content uh shameless plug for episode 16 going way back in the life of energy radio episode 16 from february of 2020 we did have akil zaidi of enbridge on and there's two elements in that podcast that have always stuck out to me one is this notion of marginal emissions factor, and we're getting a little bit into the bug dust of the electrical grid uh, wherever you are, but the, the grid is always a stack of resources based on a bunch of different factors, but typically cost. And so uh, you have you know, the, the base load and then you stack resources, and uh, the last resources on are typically the first resources to come off, and that's you know, when you displace power, that's what you're displacing, that marginal. And in Ontario, that marginal power is made from, relatively speaking, inefficient uh, natural gas-fired cogeneration. So they emit more per kWh or per megawatt hour uh, compared to CHP. So that's that's thesis number one. Thesis number two is Akil Zaidi's uh, understanding of the fact that the, uh, the natural gas infrastructure in Ontario is uh, three or four times that of the electrical infrastructure. So going to heat 
uh, all from electricity is going to result in more gas emissions if we go too far too quickly. I think that's the important part. I think there is a way to get there, but I, and I think what the article is saying is let's just go in a progressive way so that at every move we are driving emissions down, not going too far down electrification and then having to run our gas plants balls to the wall all the time. So, yeah, uh, cool. Yeah, that- there, there is also, by the way, Power Advisory had done a report also on marginal emission factors. It's a great report for those of you that have not seen it. Feel free to reach out to us or maybe I'll see if I can drop uh, Mark an email with the link and, you know, you guys can check it out that way. Uh, but if you're interested in educating yourselves more on the subject, check out, as Matt said, episode 16, you said, Matt? 16, yeah. <clears throat> or this Power Advisory report, which I'll uh, I'll try to have Mark drop in the links. Awesome. Very cool. Good stuff. Great to hear uh, that alternative fuels are getting getting their day in court or their their day in the sun. So uh, moving from uh, all of that important stuff, uh, as we mentioned, it is a Halloween inspired uh, roundtable as we record this on the 28th of October. And um, we have our good friend Mark here who has a very great mustache. Mark, what's the story with the mustache? <laughs> How's it going? Good, yeah. um, good Mark. Yeah. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Um, my wife and I decided to go as like a 1980s inspired tag team combo um, when it was called the WWF. That was sort of my era of right. you know, as a kid sure. watching it, right? Um, <laughs> we don't have a name yet, but uh, I'll let you know once we come up with it. So, we're, so, so get- you have not fallen trapped to the cliche couple's costume of the year, which is dressed like your spouse. You did not... <laughs> You did not succumb to that, no. did you? No. No, that's that, that seems to be every year, I think, isn't it? Oh, is it? <laughs> like, okay. I don't know, maybe. Um, I, I, I'm I've, also excited to see uh, what happens uh, come November, because I'm wondering, is Mark going to get rid of this part, like the handlebars? He's going to grow a very big, bushy <clears> mustache. <throat> I'm trying to remember what he looked like last year, and actually, I, I can't remember. So I'm eager to see this. I think we have to we have to do, uh, this is off topic, but we have to do, uh, I think we should do a concerted effort at CEM this year for, for Movember. Oh, that would be fun. I real- I realize it's late, but I'm I'm willing to uh, to uh, lean in on the vulnerability and give it a try myself. So. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. This can easily just work itself into November, right? So, and I'll uh, I'll keep keep the stash going. It's Love funny, it. actually. I've never had a mustache up until this year. Like I never. It was always I had a full beard normally, and like a like a mustache with the beard, but never on its own. So okay. I still laugh every time I look at myself in the mirror. I still laugh. So. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. So, what do you got for us in our face off? Yeah, we're going to get a little, well, not really off topic. Well, it is off topic from what you're talking about, but it's on uh, point with uh, Halloween. So um, our topic is going to be immortality, you know, living forever. Um, so I looked up a couple characters. Deadpool apparently is 800 years old, which I which I didn't know wow. about. Um, so at, at any of the comic book fans, they might be like, well, actually, he's 802. You know, they're going to come at me, right? So, um, and then, like, you know, uh, through for folklore and stuff, you got like vampires and, you know, it's said to be immortal, although the sun can kill them um, in certain. Uh, uh, yep, here we go. Certain uh, times here. I got my quarter heads or tails. Um, Lisa, I'll let you uh, call it. OK, I'll call heads as usual. And it is heads. So, oh, uh, yay. Do you want the pros or cons of living forever? <clears throat> I will take the cons. Okay. Let's hear it. Mm. Yep. Uh, Matt, surprised I can see for the well, No, some <laughs> people can actually see this. I forget, but I think a lot of people listen to it uh, via audio. So Matt was surprised that I was choosing the cons. 
So why do I think it's a con? Uh, well, let me start with, can you imagine if you have the ability to live on forever and, you know, you, you start with parents and then you have children and then you see their grandchildren and you're doing it all over again and you're seeing all of these people die. Like think about the loss of like your friends and family and how lonely that would eventually become. Um, I don't know that the whole idea of, you know, of seeing what, you know, loved ones grow old and die, it just seems so terrible to me. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I don't think over and over again, it's hard enough as it is in, in, mm -hmm. in our normal lives. Um, I think, uh, the other piece is like, when we think about it, like, would we have the brain capacity to be thinking from a memory perspective that if we were, and remember who our parents were or where we were from? or our first kids perhaps, or, you know, any of that stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know if we'd have the, you know, the brain capacity for that. Uh, the other piece I think is boredom. Like you can do anything you want because you can go skydiving and deep seawater diving and you can maybe get into an F1 racing car and, you know, get on a motorcycle and go 400 kilometers an hour or something silly, right? And you're not going to die. Like, you're going to be fine. So so you're going to do all of this stuff and you're just going to be, be terribly bored, right? Like, and, and, you, and then you have the other issue where you have this unlimited amount of time to do whatever you want. So, you know, at, at some point, do you put something off to the following day? Because you're not, amazing. you don't have to worry about, you know, <clears throat> living your best life today and for the next, you know, however many years we have left. Um, and then I think, um, you know, life is already hard enough from a kind of a, a happiness and a financial perspective in the sense that, can you imagine making just that that whole idea that you have to make more money just and then and then you have to keep yourself happy over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know. Seems yeah. a little bit crazy. And then everything in the natural world dies. So, you know, why fight that, I guess, is the, the tailpiece to it. But I will actually finish off my with, a, with an actual um, Talmud story. Mm. So for those of you who do not know what the Talmud is, it's a collection of writings that basically cover the full gamut of Jewish law and tradition. And basically, it's a story um, where Honey the Circle Maker, he lived in the first century BCE, um, he was the first, uh, sorry, uh, he fell into a deep sleep and miraculously woke up 70 years later. Before he fell asleep, he had watched someone plant a carob tree sapling. And therefore, he had the rare opportunity to see that sapling grow into a mature tree. But Honey felt the loneliness of outliving every one of his generation. So with no living friends, he told God he wanted to die. And God obliged. So the lesson that the Talmud offers is, of, of, of Honey's story is, let me have either friends or death. The end. <laughs> wow. Wow. That was deep. And, and I think you're disqualified because you went over two minutes. But no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Wow, that's there's a lot there. I, I I can't help but think of the Queen song, "Who Wants to Live Forever." Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, although I think that's helping Lisa's point, but I just the, the song keeps running through my mind. I I think um, Lisa's point kind of comes from a place of 
like I think that the fundamental construct needs to be well what what are we here to do and so Lisa's all about okay well it's and I'm not saying this is Lisa's worldview because I don't believe it is but um you know it's all about okay well how does this work for me like I'm going to get bored I'm going to suffer because everybody else is dying so I, I approach it from a different perspective and say what if our job is to impact others so if you have um forever think of the impact that you can have think of the impact you can have on the world think on the impact you can have on the people around you because you don't run out of time and you live forever and so you know history is the best student if we learn from history you know then we're not going to repeat it so as you know the world goes on we can learn from history and we can take that wisdom and the next time history comes around you know you lived in the first spanish flu you can apply that you know history to the uh, the covid pandemic so we we get wiser and we can apply more of that wisdom to the world around us as we live longer and longer and so i think we can have a um a bigger impact on the world because we just have have more time we can do a lot more things we can uh we can do all the things in the world for us but we can also have a bigger impact on those around us so i think that's what's exciting about living forever and if you you know back to mark's starting point of the superheroes like the superheroes live forever like if 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 they if it's good for them it must be good for the rest of us too you think of wonder woman right she uh she lived forever and she could help people through many different uh i don't know if she was totally immortal but uh anyways i think i, I think we could do a lot of good in the world if we could have a longer runway for our lives interesting um i would like maybe like an, an additional hundred years or so maybe that maybe there could be like a maybe we could bargain right and just be like well give me another hundred years and just, you know um but yeah i think I, i'm gonna give this one to lisa just because i think it would be hard losing all of your uh family and then you're like now what you know so um I'll, i mean there's pros and cons uh, for uh you know both sides but yep i'll give that one to lisa so Lisa, Lisa did a better job. I, I agree. She had the better argument. She did a lot better job at filling in the assumption. Like you didn't give us or the rest of that context. And so she, because when I heard it and then I heard her go down her thing, I thought, well, I, I just assumed everybody lived forever. But it was, she assumed it was just us and everybody else died. So she did a better oh, job I see. painting okay. the picture and telling the story. And um, I, what? Very, very great uh, topic, Mark. I appreciate it uh, yeah. on this uh, this spooky weekend that we're approaching. <laughs> so, and if you think about it, um, you know, to your point about another hundred years, a lot of what we do every day at CEM, we're trying to make the world a, a better place, trying to move towards a more functional world, and hopefully less, you know, pollutants in the air, and all of us get maybe not the hundred years you're looking for, but <laughs> maybe all of us get a couple more years uh, as a result. So. Uh, all good stuff. Thank you both. Uh, another fun week of the Energy Roundtable Halloween edition. Uh, we'll see you uh, next week uh, in uh, in November. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.